Father, we thank you for this time that we have to listen to you in your word. Please give us ears to hear. Please open our eyes. Please soften our hearts so that we might hear you speak, hear the encouragements that you have for us so that we might trust in Jesus and we might live for him. Amen. Well, words of encouragement are what Paul has for us this morning. I don't know about you, I don't know whether you would associate the word, the word encouragement with Christianity particularly. Uh, we feel like, you know, it's, it's really, you, you've got to focus on hard work, surely. You know, you've got to improve yourself, keep the rules, be the best version of yourself you can be. And, you know, if we're honest, that's not easy. And it's easy to feel discouraged. Now, it's exam season at the moment. I think for most people, exams are actually over. Apologies if that's not true for you, but... And, and most of us in this room probably at some point in our lives will have had to do uh, an exam um, of one type or another. And we know that feeling of being judged by a high standard and then being worried that we're not going to measure up. And that is many people's view of what Christianity has to offer the world. You know, here's a test, do your best, try harder, don't give up. But Paul, in this, this wonderful, rich chapter, as we focus just on verses 5 to 11, as we heard read this morning, Paul is, is not going to give us uh, words just of exhortation and rebuke. Come on, you're not trying hard enough. He's giving us words of encouragement. Think about the difference between an exam paper and an exam certificate. We thought about this when we looked at John's first letter a couple of years ago, if you were with us then. An exam paper and an exam certificate superficially are kind of similar, aren't they? They're both pieces of paper or multiple pieces of paper, in the, potentially. And they've got words on. But they have a very different effect on the person reading them. And Paul's aim in these verses is not to set a really hard test paper to see, come on, do you measure up to this standard? But he wants to give us the certificate that proves the exam has already been passed. Can you imagine? You're about to sit that exam that you've, you've been dreading and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. I'm, I'm not going to answer any of the questions. But on the way in, you get handed a certificate that says the exam has already been taken the grade you needed has been awarded. It's all good. Go and enjoy. That is the dynamic of these verses this morning. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you, you know we've been thinking about questions around what normal Christian experience feels like and looks like. Is it normal to find that you still are in a battle with sin as a Christian? Well, yes, it is. That's what we've been seeing. And we heard in verses 1 to 4 last time the reassurance that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that comes through Jesus' death as a sin offering in our place. And then in verse 4, this is in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. What does God require of us? 
that righteous requirement? Well, it's to love him and love one another. And that requirement has been met and is being met now. As at the end of verse 4, we do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the question then is, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to live according to the flesh or according to the spirit? How do I know which I am? This could sound worrying, not reassuring, because I often feel like I'm giving in to the flesh, not going God's way at all. Which way am I? Well, there's two encouragements from verses 5 to 11 which answer that question. And you can see on the back of the notice sheet the two things there, and I'll put them on the screen as well. Be encouraged, first of all. You are either in the flesh or in the spirit. And there is no middle ground. That's the headline for verses 5 to 8. Verse 5 literally says, those who are according to the flesh or according to the spirit. This is about identity, first of all. Who are we? And when Paul uses that word flesh, if you follow it through in, in his letters to the Romans, he doesn't just mean physical human flesh. He uses that word flesh as a way of talking about what it means to be sinful human beings in the family of Adam under the power of sin, rebellion against God. You see, sin is way more than just doing a few wrong things. Sin is a power that is at work in us and dominates us and controls us, a realm that we are naturally part of, an explanation for what is wrong with the world as we look around us and we despair at the headlines day by day. The Bible says that's all because of that power of sin that dominates human beings naturally. And through these chapters 5 to 8, Paul has described this in various different ways. He's called it being in Adam, being under sin, being under the law, being in the flesh, living according to the flesh. They're all different ways of talking about our natural human state and identity. We're naturally opposed to God and, and the fruit of all that is the fallen, messed up, broken world we experience in ourselves and all around us. And so that's on the one hand being in the flesh, but then he talks about being in the spirit. And that's not sort of some kind of human spirit that we sometimes talk about in other contexts. That is God the Holy Spirit. And again, in these chapters, there is a new realm that he's described. And again, he's used different terms for it. It's being in Christ, being under grace, having God as our master, being slaves to righteousness. And now, he says, it's in the Spirit, living according to the Spirit. These are all different ways of speaking about our new identity. But the thing that we need to see in these verses 5 to 8 is that there are only two possible identities. We tend to think of everything as a kind of spectrum, a continuum. And, uh, you know, over here are the really evil dictators, and over there are the really sort of holy people, and in between is sort of you and me. And maybe we fluctuate a bit, you know, around the place, but generally we're in the middle somewhere. And we combine that then with a sort of exam paper attitude and approach to life. You know, am I good enough? How am I doing compared to other people? At least I'm doing better than him, but maybe I'm not quite as good as her. So I need to try a little bit harder. But Paul is saying, no, it's much simpler than that. There are those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. And that's it. Well, how do you know which you are then? He tells us, it's about what your mind is set on. Can you see that? Verse 5, they have 
their mind set on what the flesh desires or alternatively what the spirit desires. Verse 6, their minds are governed by the flesh or governed by the spirit. Back in chapter 7, he said, as a Christian, he said, in my mind I am a slave to God's law, but in my flesh a slave to the law of sin. And it's the same kind of thought here. So the question is not, what do you do? Are you perfect? In Romans 7, we've already heard, the Christian continues to sin. There is no perfection before Jesus returns. It's not about what you do, but it's about what your mind is set on. And again, not a question of perfection, not an exam paper kind of test. You know, well, I'm afraid your mind only scored 68% for loving God. And with a pass mark of 70, I'm afraid that's not good enough. No, it's a simple binary question. Is your mind set on what the Spirit desires? Or is your mind set on what you desire? Well, what does the Spirit desire? The Spirit, we see through the whole Bible, desires Jesus to be glorified. So you could say then, it's the question is, is your mind set on Jesus and what he wants? Or is your mind set on what you want? That is the question. And the key thing to realize is those with their minds set on Jesus will be very conscious, not of how brilliant they are, but the very opposite. Because their minds are set on Jesus, they will be very conscious of how they fall short of what Jesus wants. They fall short of God's standards. And they know that if this is a test, it's not one they're going to pass in their own strength and power. <coughs> and by their own nature. And Romans 7 told us that and made it very clear. But Paul is saying it, he's not saying this as a test we might fail, but as an encouragement to Christians who are trusting in Jesus to say, look, look, I realize, of course you love Jesus. Of course you do. That's the whole point. Those living according to the flesh, though, they don't feel that conflict that you feel as you know that you've messed up and fallen short of God's standards. But you see, that means the bar is very, very low. The question is, what is your mind set on? Do you know that what Jesus wants is the right way to go, even though you, you, know, you don't always live up to that? Or when it comes down to it, do you think actually what you say and think is the right way to go? That is what living according to the flesh is. Now, maybe if you're still looking into Christian things, that is a surprise to hear that. The picture I often use, which I think helps us to think about this and understand it, is to think of a ship. And on that ship, there are people who are relatively good, and there are people who are relatively not so good. And one of them is a cabin boy, and he's always thinking of others, and he's serving hard, and he's scrubbing the decks, and he's doing whatever you need, he's delighted to help you. And he's utterly loyal to the captain of that ship. He'll follow any orders to the letter. But one little detail that I haven't mentioned is that the flag at the top of the mast on that ship is a pirate flag. It's a Jolly Roger. And you see, the captain to whom that cabin boy is loyal is a pirate. And when the Royal Navy turn up and they do whatever it is that the Royal Navy do with pirates, you see, they're not interested in whether the cabin boy is kind of relatively good compared to all the other people on that ship. He's a pirate. He's sailing under the wrong flag, do you see? And it's like that with human beings, you see. The question is, which flag are we sailing under? 
With pirates, you see, it's not a question of being a bit like a pirate some days and being a bit like the Royal Navy other days. You know, I was a bit too much of a pirate today, but tomorrow I'm going to try really hard to be like an officer that the Queen would be pleased with. You know, it's not like that, is it? You're either one or the other. And with human beings, we're sailing either under Jesus' flag with our mindset and what he wants, or we're sailing under our own flag. Now, the good news is that having established that there are these two ways, these two realms, there is always an invitation to those who acknowledge that, yes, I've been sailing under the wrong flag to come over to the other side and join Jesus' side. And that is an invitation open to anyone. It's an invitation we heard that Kelly and Daphne have answered for themselves and we're praying James and Jacob will too. Paul is writing to those who've done that and saying, be encouraged. You're trusting in Jesus because there are only two sides. Realize that those who are not yet trusting Jesus don't feel the conflict that you feel as you know you're falling short. They don't feel that they've messed up in that kind of way because they're loyal to their own moral framework, which tends to vindicate them and say they're okay on the whole. So if we're trusting in Jesus, we so often worry about our half-heartedness and we fear we might not be the real thing. And we think, yes, but I know know I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but still it must in some way come down to me. You know, I, I need to persevere. I need to count the cost. And I'm not great at that. Paul says you need to realize the person living in the flesh doesn't feel like that. They don't feel that conflict. The question for the Christian is, What do you think of Jesus? Do you love him? Now, of course, loving him includes recognizing who he is, realizing that this is not just a good teacher that we're talking about, not just another great human being, but God himself who came to earth as a human being, as a man, that he's Lord of all. And if you love him, you know in your mind and your heart that you still want to go his way, even though in practice that is a struggle and you still sin, that's normal. Be encouraged. Be encouraged by the fact that there are only these two realms. If it's a spectrum, if it's a continuum, I can kind of go up and down. I can go in and out of God's favor. But Paul is saying, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are secure. Be encouraged. That's the first headline to see. And then the second one comes from verses 9 to 11. Be encouraged, Christian, if you have the Spirit, and you do, his resurrection power is in you. So let's see that. Verse 9, he continues. And can you see he's wanting to encourage their position is not in doubt. He's saying you, as he talks to his readers who are trusting in Jesus, says, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And we say, ah, no, but he says if, doesn't he? He says if, so maybe I don't. No, but that's not what he means. Because he says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. See, again, the Holy Spirit is not a gift given only to some, but to anyone who trusts in Jesus. If you're trusting Jesus, he is living in you. So when he says, if the Spirit of God lives in you, He means kind of, if, as indeed he does. Now, if you think about it, we do use the word if like that. 
This isn't a kind of weird thing imposing on what he's saying. We use the word if like that sometimes. If I say to you, I'm giving you a free holiday. You go tomorrow. You're flying off to Greece or wherever it is that your favorite place to go is. It's amazing weather. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to have a great time. And you say, well, if I'm going tomorrow, if I'm going tomorrow, I better go and pack. Do you see? If I'm going tomorrow, you're not expressing doubt. You're just saying, because that's true, I'm going to get on with doing this. It's not in doubt for Paul here either. Again, verse 10, if Christ is in you, as indeed he is, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Can you see the encouragement? You see, we have bodies which are subject to death. That was Paul's cry at the end of chapter 7. As, you know, as I struggle once again with my temper or my lust or my impatience or my self-centeredness, whatever it is for each of us. So we struggle with those things and we know how it falls short of how God would have us live, but we feel unable to change in our own strength. Paul says, yeah, exactly. That is what your body is like. It is subject to death. You know, because of sin, we're like flowers that you buy in the supermarket. You know, they look amazing. They look lovely, and you think, oh, they, it smells beautiful. But think about it. They're already dead, aren't they? They're already dead because they've been cut off from the plant where they were growing, and it's just a matter of time now. It's just a matter of time before what is true of them becomes evident to all when they go in the bin. The preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, put it like this. Our first breath is one of the last that we will ever take. We are subject to death. That is what Paul is saying. And yet, you might think that's a bit morbid. Think more positively. Well, Paul has something very positive to say. The spirit who lives in us gives life because of righteousness, because of the righteousness of Christ that Paul spoke of back in chapter 3 when he said, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. And so verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Holy Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit living in us now is both proof that one day we will rise from the dead with new bodies like Jesus did, I've talked before about how the Holy Spirit is like a spoon. You sit down to dinner at somebody's house and you're wondering, is there going to be pudding? And even though the pudding is not yet there, if there's a spoon, pudding is coming. You can be sure. Now, I have to be careful using illustrations like that because people think this is code for Tom must have pudding if he comes round. It's not true. I'm perfectly happy not to have pudding, and indeed, if there is no spoon, I promise not even to mention it. <laughs> but do you see the logic? If the Holy Spirit is in you, and he's, he is, because you're trusting Jesus, so you don't need to doubt that, then he is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That Spirit and so that, if he's in you, and he is, because you're trusting Jesus, if he's in you, that's a guarantee that he will raise you from the dead too one day. Do you see? Same spirit, 
and he's in you. Guarantee of what's to come, like the spoon with the pudding. But then it's even more than that. So I said, the Holy Spirit living in us now is, is both proof that one day we will rise from the dead with new bodies like Jesus did, but also that resurrection power is not merely something for the far distant future or whenever Jesus returns. The work of the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is a work that happens in us even here and now, making us more like Jesus day by day enabling us to say no to sin and yes to him. That is the work of the Spirit. And if the Spirit is powerful enough to have raised Jesus from the dead, well, he can certainly enable us to overcome whatever besetting sin that we are struggling with. Now, that is usually a process. It's not a quick fix. It's in the context of struggle and failure, not effortless victory. And it's not total, this side of... Jesus returning. And in fact, maybe as we go through life, we find that the Holy Spirit has enabled us to put to death some aspect of our, our lives that we knew fall short, fell short of God's standard. But that's, once that happens, we just discover there are other things that the Holy Spirit needs to work in us. It's an ongoing thing. But the Holy Spirit living in us means change is possible. Because we have changed there's been a change in us there's been a change of us but again this is exam certificate not exam paper he, he paul is telling us not not so we get our measuring stick out and we say you know how am i doing am i am i really making use of the spirit's power within me he, he will come to obligation if you look at that word there is in verse 12 which we'll see next time what then does it mean to put to death the, the misdeeds of the body? We're getting to that. But for now, he's in the business of encouraging us. You see, so often we assume that the Holy Spirit is just for special people. Or we think, you know, if the Holy Spirit is living in me, well, that means I should be experiencing kind of ecstatic, supernatural things every day. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is like. But it, this turns all of that on its head. Because Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is for anybody who trusts in Jesus. If, you have the Holy, if, you, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, they do not belong to Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit's main work is the very ordinary enabling of Christians to live for Jesus and say no to sin day by day. Picked up a phrase from Corin earlier this week when we were studying this on the staff team. We talked about mundane Monday tube strike Tuesday we didn't do the rest of the week but you get the idea you see it's those kind of days the Holy Spirit is at work in us and for those days for the normal Christian life living in us to make us more like Jesus to enable us to say no to sin to walk in the spirit to walk with him see we so often approach the Christian life like we are caterpillars who are being told to fly. And we think, well, I, I can't fly. I haven't got any wings. What are you talking about? I'm a caterpillar. It's just impossible. It's never going to happen. We think, you know, I can't live this amazing holy life that's been held out for me in Jesus. It's impossible. Whenever I try, I fail. But that's not who we are, Paul is saying. We're not caterpillars in that sense. We are caterpillars who've been turned into butterflies. 
And with that comes the gift of wings. And you know, butterflies can choose to continue living as if they were caterpillars crawling on the ground, or they can be who they actually are now in Christ. Winged creatures who can fly because the Holy Spirit is at work in them. That is what it means to have the Holy Spirit, to be people for whom the resurrection of our bodies is coming and people who even now can experience the power of the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, working in us and through us. Now, we will get further into the nitty-gritty of what that looks like when we come back next week and see what we find in verses 12 to 17. But for now, be encouraged. God has not set us an exam we will struggle to pass in Christ. In Christ, he's given us the certificate that says, you are in the realm of the Spirit now. Yes, there is still a struggle. There will remain a struggle throughout the whole of your life, until your death or until Jesus returns. And that struggle will remain because of your old identity having been in the flesh and the after effects of that continuing in your life. But that is not who you are anymore. You are in the realm of the Spirit. You have a new identity. So in Christ, live according to who you really now are. Let's pray now. the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies subject to death because of his spirit who lives in you. Father, we thank you for that new identity that we've been given as a gift if we're trusting in Jesus. If that's not yet us, would you enable us to see who Jesus is not just uh, another human teacher, but God himself on earth as a man, died and risen at your right hand now, Lord of all, so that when we put our faith in him, everything changes. Enable us to do that this morning, even for the first time, and then enable us by the Holy Spirit living in us to live out the new identity that we've been given and help us to see through these weeks as we continue to study these verses what that looks like in our lives through all the ups and downs of our own sin and weakness and indeed through suffering. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.